Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where we talk with people leading creative, outside-the-box spiritual endeavors that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And bring into being Ha'alam Haba, the just world to come. You are listening to the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where faith leaders, activists, or people who simply want to change the world have left the building too, with Marta, Mandy, and Lily. In episode three, The Sacred is Always Here, we talk with Reverend Jen Crow and Reverend Arif Mamdani, pastors of First Universalist in Minneapolis, Minnesota, about the ways they are breaking down the patriarchy and decolonizing their congregation in partnership with their leaders. We talk about the ways the sacred shows up in amazing places and what is emerging in this moment in time, how it connects us together. Hello, Arif and Jen. We are so glad that you are with us today and having this conversation with us about the work that you're doing in the world. And I, um, I was on that social healing cohort and was like, thought it was amazing and didn't realize how great it was until I left. And I was like, hold on, I'm actually not done talking with these people. And so that's how I connected um, Mandy and my work with Lily in the last little bit. Amazing. And I think where we're going to start, and I know we were just referencing buildings a little bit, um, and I think something that's helpful to orient me to this conversation is that I grew up in the building that um, you both um, serve at the moment. Um, So my congregation um, all growing up, our holiday services were in the First Universalist building. Um, and so I think it's really cool to kind of have this multi-part connection. Um, and I've known Ari for many years and have been in spaces with Jen. And so it's exciting to kind of bring this conversation with all the different weavings that are happening. And I think where we're going to start um, is for both of you to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in the world. Um, as a way to kind of introduce yourself to this podcast audience um, and orient us to the conversation. My name is Jen Crow. I'm senior minister here at First Universalist in Minneapolis. And I am just about to celebrate having been here for 10 years, which is wonderful. And uh, I love serving this congregation and this city where there is so much work to do uh, for transformation and liberation and so much room for that to happen. Um, So about me. Like I said, I've been here about 10 years. And uh, in addition to serving this congregation, I'm a writer and recently had a book come out called Take What You Need, Life Lessons After Losing Everything. So that came out in March Mm -hmm. and tells the story of a house fire that my family and I experienced about six years ago and our recovery from that. Uh, But also really highlights I think the main mission of my ministry, which is helping people to tell bigger stories, to expand um, the possibilities of how they understand things, themselves, their relationships, the world, um, and to make room for more and more people and ideas and experiences and to act from a place of compassion and care for themselves and each other. Um, So that's really at the heart of what I'm trying to do here at First Universalist and through my writing and um, I see my relationships with people as the heart of where that change can happen. So um, I like to spend time getting into relationship with people and staying there 
and um, helping each other imagine who we can be. And that's yes. my summary at the moment. Yes. yes. No, storytelling is powerful and holy on so many levels. And for some, for some reason, we have gotten so out of practice um, with, with just telling our story and holding space for our stories. And um, I don't know, I just think that that is the, like the sweet spot where bridges and interconnection is actually made. Yeah. Yeah, being, I mean, I find it hard not to care about someone once I've heard even a little bit of their story mm -hmm. where I can imagine that piece of their life. Um, I feel connected to them. And I think it's such a great way, especially in the church where we have opportunities to tell stories from so many different perspectives and ways of understanding the world that it can start to create these, this web of connection. Um, and that's one of the things I talk about in my book and I talk about in preaching too, is that um, for me, it's been in the moments of crisis when the web of interconnection suddenly becomes visible that maybe I had taken for granted or I didn't know was there in the way that it was or is, uh, where it's like all of a sudden the spider web that we're part of gets wet, right? <laughs> and like I can see the shimmering places where we're connected. Um, and I hope people have that experience at church, um, wherever they are, that this is one of those places that helps them remember that they are connected to themselves, to each other, to the ancestors, to the folks coming next, to the earth. Like that's, that's what we're about. But, yeah, but the web of interconnection is at the heart of the Unitarian Universalist tradition, wouldn't you say? That's that feels like a word and language that is used often. Absolutely. <laughs> right? The interconnected web of which we are a part is core to who we are. Um, and helping each other remember that in all of the ways so that we can care for each other, ourselves, the earth. Um, be in relationship and not live in the illusion that we're these isolated beings floating around um, at worst better than everything else and in control of all things um, you know but mm. I'm talking and talking uh, a reef <laughs> no, <laughs> to make room I was, I was enjoying where you were going with that <sighs> let me see if I can um, let me see if I can build on what you're saying by way of introduction um, so my name is Arif Mandani. Uh, you see him, his pronouns. Um, I am the, uh, recently the, uh, named the associate minister here. Um, I'm in my third year serving this congregation. I've, you know, the pandemic makes time a little hard to track, but I think I'm in my third year here. Um, and I am, uh, relatively newly ordained, uh, relatively new to the ministry. Um, this is uh, sort of the first con congregation that I've really served um, in a, you know, sort of a full-time ministry capacity. Prior to, um, prior to ministry, I spent the, you know, the last 15-ish years working in, um, uh, progressive nonprofit organizations um, working in essentially a couple different capacity building um, entities that existed to support grassroots community organizing groups around the country. And um, one of the things that I learned there 
is that um, there's a, a correlation, if you will, between what faith communities do and what um, membership grassroots organizing communities do, which is related to um, supporting people and deepening around a set of values, uh, commitment to something greater than us, taking action on those commitments in transformation of self and world. And it was that intuition that really led me to seminary um, and uh, ultimately led me here uh, into the work that we're doing here at First Universalist. Um, in terms of who I am, um, I am, I am the child of immigrants. I'm the first generation in my family born in this country. Um, my dad's side of the family is Muslim. My mom's side of the family is Hindu. Uh, if you know <laughs> what that means, then you know what that means um, in terms of the interreligious conflicts that um, that union potentially presented. It wasn't in my case, both sides of the family are really very, um, very progressive, but uh, I think part of the story of immigration for, for my family, for my parents, was um, looking for a place where they could write a story um, a little bit more free of the stories of those two traditions. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I am a parent. Um, I am um, in a multiracial relationship. We are raising uh, multiracial children um, who are 18 and 13, soon to be 14. Um, I don't feel old enough to have an 18 year old. Um, but part of the reason that we made our home in Unitarian Universalism is that um, the emphasis on story and naming and claiming our identities and naming and claiming the stories that we want to write for ourselves seemed to, to uh, my wife and I as providing a context a community um, and some aptitude tools orientation toward our kids being able to do exactly that, right? To sort of tell the complexity of their story in a community that um, was, was significantly likely to be able to hold, right? I mean, not, um, no community is perfect. All communities, um, uh, at least in my experience, kind of struggle to allow us to be the fullness of who we are. Uh, but I think what we found in Unitarian Universalism is um, uh, a commitment to try to do that. Um, and I don't believe that that's necessarily unique to Unitarian Universalism. I don't want to suggest that. I think it's actually, in my experience, true of, of uh, liberal faith communities in general. Um, but I think the through line is that um, part of liberation is naming and claiming a fuller sense of who we are and the stories that we're able to tell about our truth and our world. Nice. You know, I am I'm also a first generation um, born to an immigrant. And so I, I share that with you and and all that comes with it, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, and he he wasn't religious at all for um, reasons um that were were very hard um neither but, were my parents yeah you know the 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 last um battle of world war ii happened at um a monastery only a few miles from his home 
And so religion and war are tightly connected. And so when he came here, he's like, yeah, no, not going to have anything to do with it. So anyway, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's really wonderful to be able to orient each of you kind of in your own leadership and what's brought you to it and the community that you serve. And I'm curious to hear a bit about where you're talking about like bringing out the unique stories of each person and how that bubbles up into a community and how that plays in in a space that's about fostering interconnection, fostering this web. And I'm curious, what does that look like at First Universalist in both of your work right now? Oh wow, I think we see it in so many places. I'm trying to I'm trying to like marshal marshal my thoughts. And Jen, you look like you're doing the same. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that I think you mentioned in one of your emails that I was um, super curious about, so I don't know if I should even bring it up, but um, was, <laughs> I know, because this is what happens with me, right, Lily, um, is, uh, is this non-hierarchical structure that you, um, I think you mentioned, Arif. Um, I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if that's organic. I don't know if that's part of just Jen's leadership in that space and or both of your leadership and how that teams together. Um, but I know for me, um, that is a, you know, I'm doing this feminist approach to worship in my doctoral work. And so that is a huge part of it. And so I wanna hear your stories around that. And um, because that is, that is a form of, the sacred leaving the traditional institution, right? And so, yeah, what, is, what does that look like for you? And maybe I shouldn't have asked that question, Jen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I think the questions that you think you shouldn't ask or any part of you that's like, oh, this might be a little too edgy or I don't know if people wanna talk about that are exactly the questions that need to be asked and the conversations we need to be having, mm -hmm. even if they're messy, even if we muddle our way through, like that's where the energy and the aliveness is. So let's go nice. there. Yes. Um, you know, um, I think, you know, at First Universalist, we've been moving toward a more, not a more collaborative leadership structure for many years now. Um, and some of it is, are things that I bring, some are inherent in the system. Um, some are the longings of our people being realized. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is we are trying to really live into our theology. And our theology says that each and every person is valuable and has gifts to bring. And so how do we allow those gifts to come forward? And those are gifts in leadership. Those are gifts in community building. Those are, you know, they form one of my most clear ideas about ministry, which is that we are better together, you know, that there's more wisdom in a room, the more people are there, and that we should be um, helping people hear that about themselves, live into that about themselves, and then um, work together around it. So that's the, for me, that's some of the basic theology stuff. Um, and we've named really clearly that at First Universalist, one of our goals is to um, do things differently. I mean, we have said we are, we are about a project as a team, and that project is about creating a multicultural, multiracial, intergenerational community of faith where everybody 
feels like they're being welcomed with joy and hope and expectation and the sense of who we are is ever expanding. And with that as our goal, right, that means we need to do things really differently <laughs> um, mm -hmm. if we want to get there because the old systems aren't working to really create that open door and full welcome experience. So that project is on staff, it's in our leadership, you know, our paid leadership, our lay leadership, our congregation owns that as our mission. So um, we are still figuring out how to embody it <laughs> with bumps and successes along the way. Um, yeah, because I have found even in the most progressive um, um, congregations, um, theologically, because progressive congregations are so fluid um, theologically, and there's so much openness that the um, institutions um, tend to grab onto governance and structures because that's their like stakeholders. Look at, I could tell Jen's like, yes, I know. Um, <laughs> yes. And, um, and so- Following the bylaws. Right, like it's, and I, um, you know, I think this is such an important conversation, especially for faith leaders that listen to this out there, um, because like you said, even just telling the story and having the conversation can start to um, break things down. And, um, and the fact that the two of you are actively working um, and living into that space a little bit, um, but how, how do we see that like practice? I don't know if Reef, if you have any thoughts on that either. How does, how do we, how do we tell that story to our friends in faith out there um, that, you know, you can do this thing and um, it's actually what we're called to do and um, it's going to be okay um, if we don't follow the rules exactly right. Like it's going to be okay. Um, the sacred's still going to somehow show up. Um, you know, how, how does that happen, right? That's my, I mean, those are all of my questions that I'm constantly thinking about. And, you know, and then you have that old statement, um, you know, well, the buck has to stop with someone, right? And so like, how do you balance all of that? Those are, those are fabulous questions. Um, I think some of the pieces that I want to invite into, into dialogue with us here are, um, First, that um, the sacred is always here. And I think it's easy to forget that. Um, the spiritual direction teaches us to always be asking some version of that question, where is God in this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, even if we don't believe in God, right? Like, it's, it's a fun question for atheists to engage. Um, But okay, so that's one conversation, right? right? Um, sacred's always here. Another one for us at First Universalist is um, Characteristics of White Supremacy Culture by Tam Oakman, um, you know, that recently updated. Yes. Um, a third is um, Emergent Strategy and Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. Mm. Um, Put together, right? All of those, I think, point us, uh, have pointed us as a leadership team, continue to point us as board and staff and what have you. Um, 
which is shorthand for all the different governance bodies, <laughs> um, point us toward, um, you know, first uh, the notion of um, uh, change being fractal. So if we want to do things differently, we have to, like we as a leadership team, whether that's the staff or our board or you know, any of those bodies, um, need to be engaged in the practice of, um, and then here comes in uh, characteristics, characteristics of white supremacy culture. We have to be engaged in the practice of decolonizing ourselves. Yes. In order to be able to decolonize our relationships with each other, in order to be able to embody the kind of um, relationship, the kind of world that we're aspiring to create so that we can invite more people into that. Um, it, it absolutely can't be, uh, you know, here's what you should do, and then we'll just continue running everything the way we've always run it. Um, that doesn't work. Uh, nobody, nobody buys that past a certain point. Um, and I think that's been a, a, like, that's been a lot of the work that we as a leadership team have been in these last couple of years. Um, I don't know that I have, well, in some ways the story, right? The story of us forming as a leadership team was increasingly understanding, and this was very true during the pandemic, um, that separately we could only perceive what we could perceive. This is always true, right? Um, but together we were able to perceive a, a broader swath of what was true for our congregation. And um, when we brought all of that together, we were more able to make good assessments about what was true for the congregation as a whole, and therefore able to do better ministry for where our people were. This was true as the pandemic started, and I think it was particularly true in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing. Um, and Arif, this is where I, I hear you pointing to how can we hear and know and tell a bigger story again, yeah. right? That we're each bringing one part of the puzzle, one view in on what's going on, each of those experiences valid um, and together, you know, we can see something larger or experience something larger than our one way in our one life experience, right? So um, that's part of how the leadership team works in that each of us are bringing our own perspectives, experiences, interactions, relationships in the community in the congregation with each other um, that help us know this bigger story that is all of us interconnected right um and the other the other piece i'm thinking about is it's not just the staff who are doing this right this is our board as well so this is a place of huge hope for me i mean i've been in ministry this is year 18 for me um and board meetings aren't always the most enlivening experience as a spiritual leader um sometimes they feel quite soul-sucking uh, you know and devoid of spiritual leadership. And that is not what it's like here. These are meetings where I would say for the last six years, at least maybe longer, um, 
I leave each of these board meetings and I think, I cannot believe these people did this. Like mm-hmm. the risks they took with each other, the risks they are taking to help us as a congregation live into who we say we wanna be. Um, I, live, I leave these meetings tired, but full of hope and a sense that I am, there is no way I'm doing this on my own. You know, this is fully in partnership with the lay leadership here. And I mean, that is a powerful, wonderful thing to get to be a part of. Um, so they are leading as much as Arif and I and the other staff are. Decolonizing is such a hard and big word for many people. Um, and and I also think it's necessary for our lay people to really um, start to um, understand it and, and embody it and all of that. So how would you all and if you, if you were just telling someone who literally had no concept of it whatsoever, um, and you're like, we got to decolonize, we got to decolonize our church and our leadership, but you won't say that, right? Because that's, that's heavy <laughs> and, and hard. And I know that, you know, there's some, we have some, you know, ultra academic and smart parishioners, but it's still a hard and sort of a new and a word that's boiled up a lot in the past few years. Um, so how would you define that s- simply if you were just to put it out there? I did not prepare any of you for this. <laughs> oh, that's the best. That's the best because, right, what does it really mean? <laughs> you know, that, that's part of why I was asking about like how you situate Colorado Springs geographically because I was thinking about this, this exact challenge. Um, I'm not, I'm not from Minnesota originally. Um, I did not grow up here. Um, this is an interesting place relationally. And I just used a very Minnesota word, uh, interesting, um, which is used to stand in for uh, other words that we probably shouldn't say. <laughs> um, let me say that differently. It is- Are you a- gonna acknowledge a feeling, Arif? Because- <laughs> It's a challenging place to get past surface relationships. Mm. Um, The joke that people often tell is if you weren't friends with someone in kindergarten, you will never actually, like people will say, oh yeah, you know, people in in Minnesota, they're incredibly friendly. They'll give you directions anywhere, just not to their house. (sighs) Um, It is a hard place relationally. Um, And that's kind of a joke, but it's kind of not. Um, and what we know to be true, what, you know, what we've just been talking about here is, um, the centrality and how essential relationships are. And so when I talk about decolonizing, like, I don't even use that language. What I ask are, what are the barriers to relationship? Mm. What are the things that are preventing us from, um, telling our stories in a way that invites other people into them? as opposed to telling our stories in, in, in a way that holds a boundary and keeps people out. That's good. That's, a, that's yeah. a great way. I don't know, Jen, if you have anything to add to that, the concept of decolonizing, but. Yeah, well, I just wanna echo and underline what Arif just said around, um, you know, as we look at how we are changing ourselves here at First Universalist and how we are living into, say the theories that are in emergent strategy, it, it is by putting relationships first, relationships at the center, um, our relationships with ourselves, with 
God or the holy with each other as the center, right? And that is key for us. Um, in terms of the de decolonizing question, what does that mean? Um, I immediately, my brain went back to college um, where I came out when I was 17 and I attended a series of workshops in the living room of you know the house where I, I was. And they were teaching about heterosexism and homophobia. And I think I had I could tell you what the word heterosexual meant and I could tell you what the word homosexual meant, but I couldn't define either of those other two words. And then when they started teaching about internalized homophobia, something different clicked for me. And I, I began to understand you know, internalized homophobia as the ways that I thought about myself that were negative, um, that had come from outside sources, society um, that told me I was bad or that I could only be a certain way because I identified as a lesbian. And once I was able to understand things that way and hear some of the voices in my head as not my own and certainly not as God's and not as um, anything true necessarily, uh, but as the voice of society telling me negative things about myself and my people, um, it shifted my whole understanding. Um, and so I go back to that moment of clarity for myself when I think about the ways that um, each of us is colonized by mm -hmm. all of these different isms and, uh, and forces of oppression and how those mm -hmm. ideas land in us and we hold them and carry them even when they're da dangerous and damaging to all of us. Um, so like I'm colonizers. like sorting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in there with like a little sieve, like trying to get shit out of my head that is negative. <laughs> no, absolutely. Like the colonizers created these very specific rules and ways of living and being and, you know, um, and it all like was um, created under a power structure. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, uh, trying to undo that. And once you really think about how that's being lived out, even in our most liberal congregations, mm -hmm. is so hard and challenging. I just realized no one can see my actual facial expressions <laughs> um, when they hear this, but um, yes, that was, that's good. Thank you yeah. for just putting it out there. Well, and I think Marta, something that in this resource that they're talking around about the characteristics of white supremacy culture, which we can figure out how to link for folks, um, is that it gets really specific about some of those ways of being that are coming from white supremacist colonization, right? That are coming from domination and that are like, in, like they're enshrined in many professional spaces. So things like urgency, things like the written word, which I think particularly as folks who think about theology, that's an interesting one to like dive into more, right? Um, and there's this piece of like, I think about it as like domination over knowledge. So knowing the most or having the right answer as something that's really valued. And something that I'm hearing in this, in this theme of story and in this, in this piece of how do, I, how do I remove some of the barriers to understanding you and to share about myself, um, there's something there that's also like how to hold multiple things being true at once, that that's, that that's a capacity and that's a muscle um, to build into. There are so many people with different, like everyone's lived experience is different. And there are some, some themes or some, some 
ways that we could connect about what we might have in common. Um, and I think to the point about a place like Minnesota, we have really strong cultural preferences that are based in whiteness um, it, as a state, um, which I think is a, a piece that is unique to here and not, and not unique to, right? It's unique to every place, but specifically in Minnesota, it's very strong. Um, so for example, I always could tell that I was the Jewish kid in, in class. And for me, that's a flag that white supremacy is pretty strong if my Jewish identity, and for those who can't see me, I have, I'm a white bodied person. If that's feeling really strong for me, I know that white supremacy is really up because of the ways that anti-Semitism, racism and white supremacy interlock. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that being able to broaden our understanding about like, I have a really unique story that might have some commonalities with other people and someone else is also incredibly complicated and specific. And so being, and so something that's been helpful for me is holding that, how can multiple things be true in once, at once in this moment? Or, oh, that might be true for me, but I'm, I can tell this, per like this, like this person across from me isn't resonating, re resonating in the same way. And how do I get curious about that rather than being like, if, this, if someone doesn't agree with me or think the same way as me, then we're, we can't possibly connect. Um, that was the thread that was coming up for me during the thing. So thank you for going with me um, along it. But that's what's kind of arising in terms of that. What, is, what does connection look like? Or how do we break down some of those, those barriers, which I think happens to ourselves in terms of how we share, but also how we receive how other people show themselves to us. No, I love that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Colorado is like the wild, wild west. So I don't know, Mandy, what do you like think of our pull up your bootstraps, get on your horse? <laughs> well, you know, I am actually from Kansas, so also an interesting place. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think that um, all of that is is true in different ways. You know, it like it manifests in different ways in different territories, so to speak. But I think um, like it's true in, you know, even the most urban settings, even the most diverse settings, um, there's some element of that insidiousness, right? And so um, part of that deconstruction is, um, being able to see the different ways that it manifests, right? When you come to a new place and it looks like everybody's really nice, <laughs> um, what do you have to look at that makes um, some of that dirty underbelly kind of come come up and so that you can actually deal with it and not just, not just ignore it? Um, so this is a little bit of a, like, I don't know, I, I, I can't think of a smooth way to segue back into this, but um, I'm really interested in, um, Jen, you mentioned, you know, your board meetings and especially your, um, your lay leadership as well as your staff um, interaction, right? And how you foster interconnection and you um, are building community in this sort of non-hierarchical way, um, collaborative way. Like, are there um, I just, I want some specifics, like give me something really practical that you guys do, um, you know, to, to create that space, um, and make it feel real and authentic. And, and also like, what are the ways that it might feel awkward and strange? Well, 
I'll give you a couple of board meeting examples. And this really credit goes to our board president, Darren Woodson on this, but every board meeting begins with at least a half an hour of embodied spiritual practice and relationship building in the board. So people are literally in their bodies. I mean, they're, they are going through um, practices. Many of them um, come from Resma Medicine's book, uh, My Grandmother's Hands. And those practices are part of what we do to change ourselves and prepare for the work together. Um, so it's this intentional practice together and relationship building right at the beginning of every board meeting, um, whether it feels comfortable or not, <laughs> you know, everybody participating in their own way. The other thing I would say that the board does that helps create these kind of environments is a release of the timelines. So we can be so driven by this has to happen by this date. And there are some of those things that need to happen for the church to function. So we hold on to the ones that are absolutely critical and then give ourselves room on the ones that aren't. Um, or even sometimes I would say like, this is the appointed year when we would be typically uh, rewriting our visionary goals because we do it every five years, we do it on a schedule. But guess what? This is year, whatever, 85 of being in a pandemic right? and um, <laughs> nobody has it in them to do that right now. We are holding on to our clearest goals for right now about how we are together. And the board was able to say, this isn't the right time for this work. It's important and we are going to push it out um, and not be governed by the timelines of expectation and urgency and bylaws and all that. And we're going to look at where we are and do what's right for right now. Um, so those things have really changed the dynamic. Can we do anything good about this on staff, Arif? <laughs> or other stories? I don't know, whatever else we want to tell. I mean, I think, I think that there's all kinds of ways that it shows up. So um, uh, the, the board example is a really good one. That same, um, those same practices and intuitions, um, orientation, uh, uh, are reflected in how we gather as a staff often, uh, certainly in our, um, you know, sort of different uh, programmatic teams, um, but also how we gather um, all together. Uh, you know, I, I, I see and um, feel us uh, more intentionally engaging in practices that bring us into the room together. Uh, so many of the practices Jen was talking about. Um, I see the same thing happening in more and more of our, um, uh, you know, um, groups and teams uh, of members in the congregation too. So you know, there's there's increasingly this through line, and part of it is that that same um, orientation is reflected in our worship life. Um, these last couple of years, we have been bringing more and more intentional uh, embodied practice um, into what Sunday morning looks like. Um, you know, from something as simple as uh, uh, Jen leading us in um, three intentional breaths as we're as we're gathering um, to other uh, other embodied prayer practices um, that show up at different uh, you know at different times during the year. So I think for sure those are some through lines to um, to how we're doing it. Um, I also I also feel like I have to say that you know when I think about interconnection when I think about um, getting people past the Minnesotaness. Um, and I say that with love, no, no, no shade at all. Um, 
I'm married to a Minnesotan and my children are Minnesotan. So, you know, um, and I really do love the people of this congregation. Um, that is, you know, there's no question about that. Um, what I, what I see, what I feel is that folks have this deep desire to be known and this, um, deep fear of being known as well, right? I think many people experience this. I don't know that it's unique to Minnesotans. I don't think it's unique to folks in our congregation, but because of that, um, I love connecting people with each other. Um, it is one of my most favorite things. Uh, it's a little harder in our you know, multi-platform world where some people are gathering in person and other folks are online, but I will routinely send emails or make phone calls and, and say like, I want to connect the two of you. Here's why this person is amazing. Here's why this person is amazing. Here's why I think you two will really enjoy each other. What can I do? What else can I do to help y'all get connected? Um, I feel a little bit like a matchmaker, um, which, which is super, super fun. And, um, you know, what I, what I try to do, and I have no idea how successful it is because to date, no one has come back to me and said, thank you for connecting us. It may still happen. I'm new in this position. Um, but what I try to do is get people past the, um, the surface story into the like here's the thread that I hear between the two of you that I think is why you two will enjoy each other so do you know it's interesting okay so I'm just real quick I you know I'm using that word interesting and what I mean by it is like not interesting but it's actually interesting um is it between Jen's story and Arif's story is Jen and talking about like board structures and bylaws and even traditional liturgy um, sort of holds people in that surface space. Um, it's hard to go deep in, in a liturgy, for example, that we've been saying for multiple centuries um, because it becomes so rote that we forget or, or we're not reminded, or um, we just get into the routine. But I think in, in dismantling some of those and undoing some of those older things, and maybe Lily feels different because she's from the Jewish tradition and that's so important. But, um, and it is, it's super lovely, I love it all. But um, I'm just, and I'm also just thinking even with the, the board meetings and um, well, this is the way we've done it. You know, this is how we've opened it. This is how we've led this agenda. This is how it is. But it also doesn't take anybody any deeper. And you don't get to know anybody very much be below the surface. And what, what leadership style do they really have to um, offer a congregation? Like it doesn't give any of those kinds of openings in any of that. It doesn't break through any of... Um, I don't think at least. And so I'm, I'm, I know that at Black Forest Community Church, constantly I'm asking, well, um, I know that we've done it this way for a really long time, but how's that working for you? Oh, I can't stand it is the response. Oh, I'm so burnt out. Oh, I'm so tired. Then like, why are we actually doing it that way? Like what, where, what happened where we have feel like we have to continue to do it then 
just let it go then and something new will emerge right and it that's so risky and um because it might not be the emergence that you wanted it might not be very exciting it might be nothing for a really long time nothing might even emerge for a really long time but at least it allows some space um and deeply authentic um showing up um whether people feel like they're not successful at least you're seeing at least you're seeing that authenticity and that shame in a different way and that's actually where the connection um, I think comes in. So I just, both of you, like that was so brilliant how Jen talked about this one thing and Arif kind of piggybacked onto that and made that connection um, so well. I really, I really appreciate that. Marta, you're like, is there, I'm like, so I'm on fire about this. The, um, so I think this is like one of the things we get wrong in church so much of the time is worshiping or putting the structures out there as the north star or as the god as opposed to our mission right and this is like the one of the biggest things that gets in our way when we forget that the structures we've set up the governance the money the building are tools they are resources for us to use in order to achieve the mission which is about connecting people to themselves to the holy to the earth to their power for good like and so when we start thinking that we need to worship the bylaws or preserve all the money or, you know, the building is just for us and it's not actually a resource to the community, um, that's where it's a this this binary that Arif and I have been identifying more and more that gets in our way, right? If If I'm trying to protect something from a place of fear as opposed to exhibit deep care and a feeling and sense of interconnection and act out of a place of love and hope. It takes me to a very different place than if I'm acting out of, I have to protect what's always been, um, or I am afraid and I'm locking down. Um, so I, I really try to remember, and it's part of my how I operate, that the structures we put in place are a tool for us to achieve our goal, mm -hmm. right? So I am much more interested in the structure of our vendor policy that holds me accountable to making sure that we spend our money in ways that are that are in alignment with who we want to be and mm -hmm. the world we want to build mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. policies bylaws all that stuff should be there to help hold us accountable to living out the the vision mm -hmm. um not not sermon complete yeah i mean like not <laughs> not fixing us in this place where we cannot have any right. ability well, to get to move. know each other mm -hmm. yeah more deeply and i yeah. think like societal norms that we're talking about colonizing norms do exactly the same thing mm -hmm. um which may might be in some ways what a reef is talking to in our american culture and more specifically minnesota but really i think that happens everywhere in sort of a similar and sort of similar mm -hmm. way so yeah and i see this theme of like i can see the ways that fractals are showing up in what you're talking about because it is thinking about on a small scale today in this meeting in this worship opera like space how how can we embody our values and like that, that then ripples out and makes impacts we can't predict, which is the point. Um, 
And like, I see that as just such an amazing opportunity that like, it can be anywhere. Like you can start doing that embodied value practice anywhere, um, as opposed to having to, for it to be perfect or to have the whole plan or to have the bylaws that'll like show you to where you need to go, but rather like, it's more about presence and it's more about the how than it is the what. And so I get really excited about like, so how, like how to create spaciousness enough to have that reflection, have that grounding, have a little bit of planning to make a container um, and then just be present with each other. Okay. Okay. So, okay, friends. So we're going to do, um, it's really quick. Um, they're called rapid responses. I'm going to ask a question and you just answer them quickly and fast. Are you laughing because you don't like to do that? Asking a Unitarian Universalist to be quick or brief is a, an interesting invitation. Well, there and we I, go. See, here we go. I'm just wondering if this is actually a Rorschach test, which have been proved invalid. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> which also feels like a UU thing to say in response. Right. Yeah. Oh, let me just give you some facts. <laughs> right. Okay. So um, either one of you can can answer first, but I would love to hear from both of you. What feels possible now that wasn't possible before? More vulnerability. More vulnerability. Telling more more stories, telling bigger stories. Bigger stories, more stories. Okay, what felt essential pre-pandemic that is no longer essential? Planning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, planning, at least in, in, in the way that it was planned. Right. Okay, here's my favorite one. Um, I think Lily came up with this one too. I love it. What is cracking open at this moment? I mean, aside from everything, um, I think we are. Uh, that's a longer story, but I know that what has been true of these last few years is that each of us on the leadership team have cracked open in different ways uh, that we have together. In fact, we recently told a, a month-long story series uh, built around the story Acornology, which you can find online. Oh. With some modifications, it is all about um, shells cracking open and how little acorns are in fact meant to be giant oak trees, but only if our shells crack open. So I think this has been, I, I loved this, but you know, I am, I love, I love the idea of congregational life. And I also um, know that in so many ways, it's not working in the way that it was intended to work. And um, that we're in a particular moment in time that, that there we need some shifts. We need to shift some things. And so I loved having this conversation with the two of you about this. Um, it's my geeking out on church life and leadership. And I could talk about it forever. Like Arif says, there's, we can go off in this direction with this story, or we can go off in here. And I mean, like I literally could sit here for hours and have these conversations. So I really appreciate you showing up into this um, I call it the little big community because it's little because here we are at virtually, but um, it's across so many um, geographies and so it's big. Um, so I, I really appreciate it and thank you for taking the time in the midst of all of your life. Yeah. Um, 
I'm, can I say one more thing before we yes. go? I'm just yes. thinking that, um, I also love this conversation and want to stay in it, you know, forever. Um, and what I would really want people to hear and to know is that when we put relationships and interconnection at the center of what we are trying to do, that means that we have to act against all of these characteristics of white supremacy culture, right? Because these characteristics are poison to relationships, a sense of urgency, I have to do it perfect. Like there's no room, there's no time, I have to be right. Um, I can't make a mistake. All of those things get in the way of us connecting with each other. And so making the space for those connections to happen and trusting that it's gonna take time and that we are gonna have to do the dangerous thing of loving each other. Like I think about the, the, the risks we are taking here and the ways we are changing. The only reason we can do that is because the people know we love them mm -hmm. and, and we know they love us too in mm -hmm. all of our imperfections and errors sometimes, but there is a love and trust that gets built over time through relationship that lets you make these changes mm -hmm. that you can't do quickly or when you just meet somebody, you know, you can set some new patterns with new people, but I, I just think you know, it's old school, but love is really at the center of all of this. I mean, I think you're exactly right. I mean, change only happens through trust and relationship else it's, it's not going to happen. Yep. I think that's, a, was an awesome way to, I don't know, Arif, if you have one last word, but I think that was an awesome, he doesn't. Um, I think that was one, one last really great way to end our time together. This season, our focus is on fostering interconnection. We are living in a moment filled with polarization and isolation, but also connection and joy. We will talk with faith leaders across religious traditions about how they are cultivating communities and spiritual practice that brings us into deeper relationship with ourselves, each other, and all of the natural world. What does it mean to build authentic relationships with each other and all living beings? How does religious and spiritual leadership connect with this work and what is cracking open in this moment that may allow us to deepen together? In this second episode of season six called To See and Be Seen, we talk with Reverend Jen Butler, a UCC minister in Corvallis, Oregon, at First Congregational United Church of Christ, where she's been the co-conspirator in the work of community and restoration since 2010. In the last three years, a focus of her ministry has been as a community organizer at the intersections of poverty and housing, and as founder of the Safe Place program, where she tries to live in service to those experiencing houselessness by cultivating communities of belonging. Hey everybody, our friend and colleague, Reverend Aurelia Davila Pratt, published a timely book called Brown Girl's Epiphany, Reclaim Your Intuition and Step Into Your Power. Aurelia was a guest in our very first season of Jesus Has Left the Building, and her new book comes out September 13th. You can pre-order it now. This book speaks the powerful voice of a woman, pastor, mother, and advocate. And Aurelia gives us the compassionate nudge and the tools we need to access our inner authority. You can find more about her book at www.reviaureliajoy.com.
This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation, or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com JHLTB to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. We give thanks to Black Forest Community Church and the Tributary Fund of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ for their ongoing support. We could not do this without all who support Jesus has left the building.